Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a tech leader helping medium-sized businesses create integrated e-commerce sites, bringing the various systems that they have to become one business-enabling system, making a solution that is more than the sum of its parts. Jayant Chowdhury, our guest, joins us to share his interesting story. So let's not delay. Let's get Jayant into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Jayant. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I really have enjoyed our conversations preparing for this call, and I'm glad to be on. That's brilliant. Yes, we've had some great conversations offline, and uh, maybe you can bring some of the kind of elements that we spoke about into the into the discussion now. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who do you work for and what do you do? Um, a little bit about myself. So um, I am a software engineer by training. And what I do today is I help small businesses and medium-sized businesses of a certain size to create an e-commerce strategy that really works with their existing systems. Uh, so my, my clients would be companies uh, that are pretty much in any business, but they want to sell what they do online. Mm, great. That's great. And we're going to dig into a, a little bit more detail around that very shortly. Sure. But before we kind of jump in now, I'm always really curious around how tech leaders get to where they are now. What's your journey been like? Well, my journey um, has been interesting and entertaining, at least to me. Um, I started out uh, in India uh, as somebody who wanted to study literature, um, ended up going to university initially to do something that was completely non-technical, which was to study history. And um, a couple of years into my degree, uh, I realized, mostly prompted by my father, uh, that I wasn't going to be making much money as someone who studied history. So that, that kind of helped me crystallize some ideas. Um, I left India in 89, went to a university in England to study um, information systems. And then I realized that I liked that enough uh, that I would do another degree in computer science this time. Um, study the most difficult subjects possible that, at, at the time that I could, uh, completely with a view. So my strategy was to try and get a job as, as quickly as possible. Cool. Uh, number one, to give myself some uh, balance. Number two, to make my father understand that I was going to be safe. I was going to be <laughs> dependent on him for the rest of my life, um, which, which I managed to do. So that's, that's how I came to uh, this field, which is computer science and software. And uh, since that time, what, what I've done is, um, because I like language, because I like literature, um, I, I, I realized that I was able to talk to people who were non-technical uh, in terms that they could understand. So I have this uh, ability 
to be able to present ideas to non-technical people about very technical subjects. And then I can go back and take business concepts uh, to very technical people and explain to them how to build systems uh, to support those business needs. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for the last almost 30 years now. Yes. Um, in, in, in recent years, and I'm talking about the last 10 years or so, I focused much more on creating e-commerce solutions. Um, I'd begun doing work for very large companies. And then over the last few years, it's, I've kind of crystallized that or come down into a niche where I help companies that are much more focused on, uh, I would say, um, a, a smaller revenue uh, generation capacity. Fantastic. That's great. You kind of mentioned some interesting things from writer to tech leader. I mean, that, wow. I mean, that's a great one. And uh, and the conversations we had, you're still a writer at heart. You know, you do that in your kind of spare time, which is wonderful yes. to hear, you know. Um, and and you also kind of mentioned that the uh, you you homed in on subjects that were very hard for other people or they weren't easy kind of. Uh, what, what subjects were they that got you into your kind of first job? Mm. Yes. So, right. So when, when, when we started, I'm, I'm talking about back in 89, uh, the most difficult subjects at the time were um, because PCs weren't really that uh, easily available. So people used to program in mainframe and then Lotus 1, 2, 3 had just come out. So most software was business software. And then C and C++ came out. So right around the time that I was getting a degree in computer science, C++ was out as a new shiny thing. And it was known to be extremely uh, difficult to learn and to use properly. In fact, I still remember I had a, I had a uh, colleague, I had, I had a person, a uh, good friend of mine who was on the, in the same degree uh, course. And he used to literally write his code. And then he'd tell me to press enter to run his program because he was so afraid he was going to blow everything. You can just restart the machine if you actually do make things yeah. crash. So uh, C++ was what I learned. And um, I kind of went deep into the details of that. And, and the great thing about that was um, because there weren't that many people who knew C++, there weren't that many uh, people who could go out and say that uh, they had learned the skills. About four months into uh, the, the degree, I had a job offer, which I kept and that kind of helped me navigate from there uh, to my first job offer in the US, uh, which which uh, I, I well, which I moved to back in 95, where I live now. So coming back to now, the company uh, Eproxim that you work for and the kind of problem. So what is the problem that you're solving in the market? If you could put it into a nice uh, contained sentence. Sorry. So I'll tell you what the contained sentence is now, and then I'll tell you kind of the journey of how I got to that contained sentence. The contained sentence right now is this. Uh, we help companies that have $5 million to $50 million in revenue to create an e-commerce platform for their products or services. Now, that contained sentence uh, I came to because <clears throat> what I realized was these companies are successful enough that they, they need to open up a new online sales channel, right? If they don't have one, they need to open up uh, a new one. If they do have one, they usually need to optimize it. Now, what do I mean when I say they want to open it up or optimize it? Uh, most of these businesses um, are usually not solely e-commerce businesses, by which I mean they didn't start online. They don't just sell things online. 
um, they are what would be known as in this country it's brick and mortar businesses right mm. so they they have an offline presence usually they are quite successful in that and uh, to give you an example uh, one of our clients is a, a company that has successfully sold um, uh, motor parts for uh, onboard engines for boats wow and they they do that you know it's it's completely unexciting to people outside the industry but they are successful they have a great distribution network they sell all over the world so that fits perfectly what we were trying to do because their revenue was between the parameters i mentioned um they had a thriving offline business and then they were trying to bring that business online um so the 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 problem we solved for them was they had existing logistics systems shipping systems where they had negotiated great rates with their shipping provider mm-hmm. um they they don't necessarily ship everything from their warehouse they have manufacturers that they work with so there there are those relationships that are electronically um uh controlled today they wanted to make sure that we could interface with those uh they have an accounting system and a taxation system that helps them uh, report accurately to the 50 different jurisdictions that we have in the US uh plus they also sell to the UK to Africa to countries in Asia uh so they want to keep they don't want to keep all of those systems uh connected now our value proposition to companies like that is not solely that we will get you online and just start selling online mm-hmm. uh, pretty much everyone can do that um what we tell them is you won't need to change your existing business systems to be able to get e-commerce to be a success for you yes. uh we will help you pull all of your current business systems and we'll connect that to your e-commerce platform so that you can take advantage of any you know special relationships you have negotiated any taxes that you need to report any accounting reporting that you need to do on a regular basis so your offline business is you know you you gain a new sales channel with your online sales channel uh, but everything continues to work exactly as it should so you don't have a huge disruptor in your business uh, with at the addition of an e-commerce platform it really is a complementary sales channel is so we smoothen out those wrinkles for you yes which can sometimes you know businesses spend a lot of money and they they find out that you know, they have to do everything two times one for the e-commerce world and one for the offline world and what's the kind of common common challenges you face within this space from a technology perspective yeah so from the from the technology perspective what you realize is there are e-commerce platforms that have become extremely popular today uh, they're hosted right so you've got most of them are hosted Uh, so you've got something like Shopify, Shopify Plus for the larger enterprises. You've got BigCommerce. Uh, WooCommerce happens to be still very popular. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's kind of a complementary complementary system for WordPress, uh, which hosts a lot of sites in this world. Uh, but then you have Magento, which is kind of an on-premise thing, um, and, and it's you can customize that a lot. So with this kind of breadth of technology. what what you then find out is companies that are trying to get e-commerce going for them or have tried it in the past <clears throat> they always realize that those systems and the systems that they have today don't necessarily talk to each other that well so we come across this this problem all the time you know we have this system that was written in python or php or c++ or java <clears throat> excuse me 
And then we have these other systems where we have no idea what they were written in, right? Mm. They have an API mostly these days. Um, and the API can be a SOAP API, it can be a REST API, uh, it can be a completely, um, you know, it's an HTTP based call, and there can be webhooks. So there's so much technology around, right? And there are so many different ways of connecting everything that when they come to a point, they're talking about how do we enable this for us in a way that we are not constantly struggling with the depth and the breadth of technology that's available. Um, mm -hmm. what, what strategy should we employ? And that's where we are very helpful because what we can tell them is, listen, you need to abstract the technology away, right? That's really not your job as a business to think about technology. Uh, what we, we can come in and tell you to do is, you know, here are the five things that you will run into as you go on to your e-commerce journey. Mm -hmm. um, you will run, run into problems with uh, um, very very easily. It's almost always the case. Uh, we can always tell you you're going to run into problems with how do you connect your accounting reports to your e-commerce data, and we can show you how to do that. Um, yeah. How do you ship things from your e-commerce platform so that it's still connected to it, still shows up in your logistics platform, whatever you use. So we already know what the journey is going to look like for businesses uh, in our kind of the, the, the niche that we serve. And we can tell you exactly, here's the things that you would need to do to get, get on to that journey, to do it successfully. And then here's, here are the things that you need to repeat over and over again as you are on that journey to be making sure that your uh, e-commerce platform supports your business and helps you to grow your business. So Jayan, what was the what's the history of uh, eProxim? Where where what's the journey been like? So obviously you found your niche now. Yes. So the the journey uh, has been it, it's been complicated and it's it's, it's based on how um, I was educated and how to run a business. So I came to the US in '95 from England, um, and within two years I'd set eProxim up. Initially, it was a very opportunistic company in the sense that we used to get work from various clients to do anything and everything. And we'd take on all comers because you know, it was just a way of making money. Um, and then gradually, as the skills of the collective uh, group of people who used to work in Eproxim grew, we started realizing that there, there are a lot of systems integration uh, tasks uh, that are usually very very difficult for most programmers to solve, but we had come to have some expertise in that. So that's what we started doing. And about for about 10 years between 2002 to 2012, um, that's exclusively what we used to do. We used to write a lot of code. Uh, I call it unsexy code for companies that were doing, um, let's just say financial reporting, or they were writing hedge fund um, programs, algorithms, they were implementing that. And we had the know-how and we had the skills to write things that were very, very fast and that were technically quite complicated. Uh, so we used to do that. Now, Atlanta, which is where I live, happens to be a, um, a center for payment payments processing. So most credit card uh, processing companies have the headquarters in Atlanta. And because I began to come into contact more and more with executives at, at those companies, um, we started getting pulled into these projects that were based around adding capabilities to their platforms 
Uh, one very interesting capability that we added was um, when you have a credit card um, that that you want to pay with, and you are on on an airline um, site, um, but you live in Germany, right? So people don't probably don't understand this when you when you pay the merchant you're paying to. So the airline in this case, if you paid them for a hundred dollar ticket. Uh, about $3 of that would go to the payment processing company, which happens to be, you know, it starts with uh, whoever gave you your payment processing equipment, ends up being Visa, MasterCard, uh, American Express. Mm -hmm. But the merchant doesn't get that money. They, that's their convenience fee to get paid with a credit card. Now, what we were trying to do at the time uh, for this specific payment processing company was they were trying to give their merchants, airlines, choices on which a commission agreement they would use. So if you were in Germany and you wanted to pay with a German credit card, um, in, in Germany, you pay a rate that has a ceiling on it. So you don't pay more than a percent, one percent on uh, the the credit card uh, transaction volume. So for a hundred dollar transaction, a German credit card should only be charged uh, one dollar as far as the merchant is concerned. In the US, it's not regulated. So you can pay up to $3.75. So for the merchant, it makes a difference. At the time, so we're talking about maybe the 2007, eight timeframe, um, an airline didn't have the option to be able to accept either the German commission agreement or the American agreement. So we put that in place. We created a system where at the time that someone was paying, we'd find out whether the card was in Germany uh, issued by a German bank. And then we would go through the German agreement versus the uh, US agreement. And that saved, uh, I won't mention the names of the airline, but there are two very, very large airlines, very well known. Um, they use that and it saves them literally millions of dollars a week. Wow. So, so the payment processing company uh, brought us in for that. We, we created that for them. And so that's the kind of work that we used to do. Um, that kind of work, you know, is exciting, it's, it's big. Uh, it's difficult to sell because how many payment processing companies do you have and how many 18-month sales cycles can you go through? Mm. So that's when I, when I was talking about my education and how I realized that you need to kind of limit your message to a point where people understand what you do and then you focus on the right market. Yes. What we realized was our, our skill is in systems integration. Our skill is in connecting to a bunch of things and making them all work together. Um, and as, as you mentioned earlier, DC, to make it more, more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we do that very well, uh, but we, we want to do that for a specific sized market. Uh, and we think we provide the biggest bang for the buck for merchants who are in the $5 million to $50 million revenue uh, sector. Uh, they need our help and they are not big enough to hire 200 people to build a new system for them. Nor are they too small to not be able to afford our services. Brilliant. I love it. That's great. And uh, it's, it's lovely to hear your journey and the difference that you've made. I mean, that's pretty big figures, you know, per week, millions of per pounds week. per week saving. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Check in. Uh, a nice ka-ching sound uh, ringing out there. Um, one of the things I'm interested in from tech leaders is that you know what drives them what's the thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning and kind of really go for it so i think initially it just used to be money because <laughs> I, I realized it's it's a i'm very grateful to be in this in this field i'm very grateful to be in the tech field 
um, because obviously it's it's helped me um, live a very comfortable life, you know, and and I say that with a lot of humility because um, everyone in my family, all of my all of my friends who um, have been around me as I've grown up and I've, I've traveled this journey, um, I've always told them, and in fact, I've helped some of them to come and be in the tech world, whether it is as a tech writer, whether it's a business analyst, whether it's programmer, uh, QA. What I've told them is this is one of those fields where if you have good common sense and some intellectual curiosity, what will happen with you is you realize it's a very rewarding field, not just in terms of money, which it is, but in terms of being able to build things that you, you know, growing up, you just heard about those things, but you will see that you're building things that are, you know, that, that cool and they're very, very useful to uh, large numbers of people. So yes. what, what drives me, I think today it is much more the idea of building a product um, that, that is useful to um, either a targeted group of people or large numbers of people. Um, I like the idea of being able to build something uh, that that takes uh, a lot of business processes that were scattered and that were not working well together and then giving something to people that they can use by usually it's just the press of a button, right? Um, and, and, you know, voila, something, something happens that was, it was impossible to do um, just a few years ago. But that the sense of wonderment, I think, the, the sense of being able to do quite wonderful things uh, mm. using skills that I've picked up over the years. I think that drives me today. Fantastic. You made me want to go back to my programming. <laughs> You've inspired <laughs> me to go back into the techie world. I, I remember many years ago, I pushed the keyboard away and and uh, I kind of de-geeked de in that moment and said, I'm not writing any more code. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, your story there kind of makes me think it is a fantastic field to be in. Uh, the stuff that we can be involved in and, uh, and the difference that we can make through tech and our programming. So thank you for that. Um, and as a leader, how do you roll as a leader? What's your style? Actually, no, first of all, Jayan, I'm going to ask you, what's not worked for you as a, as a leader in the past? And what did you learn from that? <clears throat> what's not worked for me? And, and, and I've used that as, as a learning experience to inform everything I've done since then is um, fear never worked for me. Fear is something that I think a lot of people lead with fear and they're led by fear. And let, let me give you uh, some details on what I'm talking about. So when you join a new company uh, and you're afraid to lose your job, when you're afraid of offending your boss, when you're afraid of offending a group of people at large, uh, because you you feel by doing that, they, they will have a bad impression of you. They, they'll think you don't know how to do your job. Uh, I think that is just the wrong way to live life in general. Um, number one, um, if you do that, if you're afraid of anyone, you're not going to be performing at your best. You're yes. performing because you're afraid. That is usually a suboptimal level of work that you will provide. Um, you just need to relax. I think in my, in my philosophy, relaxation is probably the best way that you can perform uh, at, your, at your capacity, at the level you're meant to be. So um, day one, um, whenever... I realized whenever I was afraid because I was going to miss a project deadline and I thought I needed to take shortcuts to deliver, uh, what I always realized was the end, end result was never what I wanted it to be. It was you know, either suboptimal, people were still upset, 
Uh, my boss didn't like the um, results that I provided. Hmm. So I stopped doing that very early in my career. Um, and I, I had this internal discussion and I, I do this with my, my daughter who is in medical school right now. Uh, and she's very focused on, you know, getting great numbers because, you know, she's very competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, but she and she has she and I have the same conversation that I used to have with me internally, which is, is this is this literally, um, and I'm being serious, is this literally a life and death situation? And if it's not, then don't focus so much on you know, being afraid. Focus on how you're going to do your best job. Yeah. Um, and once once I started doing that, then things became much easier because with that, what you can do is you can talk to a group of people, someone who's high above you in the organizational hierarchy and they're telling you i need this delivered in two months time and you you can go back and say it's impossible um it's, it's just not a problem that can be solved and delivered in two months time hmm. you're not afraid for your job you're not afraid of seeming like you don't know what you're talking about um, and when you do that then you know your, your horizons open up and people begin to appreciate you and respect you more because now they are more receptive to you saying, okay, why can't you do it in two months? Here are the problems. So you, you explain things to them. Mm. The second thing that drives me, so not being afraid is one. The second thing that drives me is um, people who work with you and people who work for you. So your team, the people who, whom you lead, um, they want to see a leader uh, who takes care of them. And that is not just materially, so not just giving them a good salary and making sure they have bonuses. Uh, so it's not just the financial aspect of it, but they want to learn to respect you because you take care of them when things are difficult. So uh, I was just talking about your bosses, my bosses, putting a lot of pressure. Um, mm -hmm. I realized that when that's happening to me, I never want that to permeate down to the group of people that I'm leading. Mm -hmm. And I've made it a great point to do that. In fact, to the extent that um, I have stepped out of jobs uh, when I felt that my team was not being respected or they were being bullied. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone to uh, you know, the board of directors, I've gone to the, my boss and I told them this is not going to be, uh, it's not going to have the results that you expected to have. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to scare people into performing uh, much much worse than they are capable of. Um, and, and to give credit where it's due, most uh, senior executives understand that. But when I've seen that happen, I made sure that I've shielded my, my team from this. Uh, one of the best compliments that I had from someone who used to work for me um, about 10, 11 years ago. So she was a business uh, analyst. She worked for the company for about two years and then she left. And I met her about a year after that. And we, we had lunch and she told me um, this beautiful sentence. She said, when I was working for you, I felt like you were, we were, the, you were the umbrella that was protecting all of us mm. uh, because it was a high pressure work situation, uh, but it never got down to them. They knew what was happening, but they never got to them. Yes. So those two things, not being afraid and making sure that you treat your people very well, you protect them at all costs. Um, that will get them to, uh, give you their best. I think yes. that really is what what work is all about. Again, talking about your teams, what, what are the tips that do you, do you have around uh, creating high-performing teams? Any communication tips or uh, or creating alignment? You know, we all want to make these people work in the same direction. Any tips around that? 
Yes. So one of the things around that is transparency. And I, I, there, there, there was this, I think there's a Japanese investment bank, or it might be a New York investment uh, fund, but they, they were brutally transparent. Uh, that was, it was written about in a lot of management books and articles that I read. About six or seven years ago, they were always about, you know, anyone can come and interrupt a meeting at any time and say anything to any, anybody. And it was all about brutal transparency, brutal honesty. Um, and people were unhappy working in that. Uh, and their, their response to that was, well, if you're not happy with brutal honesty, then you shouldn't be working here. My, my thing is transparency or honesty doesn't have to be brutal. Hmm. Uh, it, you know, what you're trying to do when you're being transparent is you're trying to make the organization and the group of people work better. Yeah. And we are, humans are not robots. We have emotions. People don't like to be told that they are, you know, that, they, they, that they're unproductive, that they're wasting time, that they don't, they're not intelligent. Um, so I, I, what I do is I make sure that the, the people who work with each other are transparent which is if I see <clears throat> that people are not talking to each other um, and they're not taking advantage of the tools that are so easy to use today. For example, just this morning, I was talking to two developers in my company. Um, one of them works in Europe, the other, other one works here. And I noticed that they weren't really, they were chatting on a company chat, but they weren't talking to each other about a specific programming problem that they needed to solve. And um, I got them both on a video conference and we went through what they were, had been going through for the last couple of hours. We went through that in probably five minutes, seven minutes. And then I asked them, why wouldn't you just, you know, open up a video session and share your screen, talk to each other and get this done? And there was no reason. It was kind of, it, it was a hesitancy between uh, them to get in front of each other and talk to each other face to face. I still think um, not literally, but figuratively, face-to-face -face conversations help a lot. Uh, we have the tools today to be able to do that across the world. Um, and there's no reason not to do that. Mm. Um, I, so that is transparency, I think, being honest, being transparent. The third one is when you know that something's going wrong, it is your duty. It's not just your job. It's your duty to tell your teammates something's going wrong. Mm. So don't hide information when it doesn't reflect well on you. And this is probably the most difficult lesson for anyone to learn. It was difficult for me, um, but I learned it. Uh, it's difficult for most people to be able to be open and vulnerable when something's not going well that they are responsible for. Uh, but to go out and talk to your group, your team, and what you realize very quickly is in teams that, are, that, that like each other, people who like working with each other, people will come and help and they will make the work happen for you. And when it doesn't, when they can't help you, when, when things are not going to get delivered on time, the judgment, uh, there's a lack of, you know, judging people by saying you didn't perform. Uh, people much more appreciate the fact that they have known for a while that things weren't going well and they need to be fixed versus finding out time and time again that things are not going to be fixed uh, at the time that they're supposed to be in place. So I think high-performing teams are built um, with honesty, with openness, and with the commitment that people can be open to each, open with each other, share 
that they're potentially going to fail um, because teams will then get together and help you succeed. What are the things that you see as the kind of foundational growths of companies? Because I imagine you've worked for a number of companies that have grown, you're growing yourself. Mm -hmm. What are the foundations that you need? Um, I think you need to be um, focused on a core area um, that resonates with your customers. So, and we we had we had this realization over a number of years, uh, and when we were kind of preparing for this call, we we, we went through that. Um, the idea that you can do everything for everyone uh, is is great because you know maybe you can. Right? Maybe <laughs> you can. I could go and program pretty much for any company that has a need for programming. The problem with that is uh, your customers, the people you're trying to help, they don't really have any way of knowing who you are or what you do. Uh, so if you look at it from the customer's point of view, a customer is looking to solve a problem. They have specific issues that they need help with. And no customer has a problem that says, I need to do everything, right? So that's why they never look for people who say, they're going to do everything for you. A customer in our case, uh, where we got to uh, over the last couple of years was uh, we realized that there is a certain type of customer uh, where the customer customer's business is uh, quite successful. Uh, the customer is not a huge business that doesn't necessarily need to uh, only work with uh, a large consulting organization. And by that, I mean, if you're a billion dollar business, uh, then you can go to the big four and have them you know, sell you something that costs millions of dollars because you can afford that. And that's also probably part of what your organizational risk um, practices dictate. So we focus on companies uh, that are a certain size. We know what their problems are. We know what they will come across. And because we understand that customer journey in getting to have a successful e-commerce uh, rollout, uh, we are able to position ourselves as people who can help you in key parts of that journey. So I think a way for any organization, any company to grow is to be very focused on some problems that you're trying to solve um, and then describe what you do very clearly so that people, when they are looking for solutions to those problems, they, they know you are the person, you are the company you go to. Fantastic, that's great. And as we come towards the closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, Jan, I, I, I've got a question around any advice that you give for uh, aspiring tech leaders listening to this podcast? Yes, yes. So the, the advice actually goes back to, uh, if, if they're tech leaders, number one, be up to date with technology. So you might not program, um, you might not, I, I might not need the exact low level details of every language. So I know Java, for example, uh, has grown several versions. I do still program and I do that simply to keep my hand in. Uh, but I might not know the exact thread safety model that Java uses today, right? Um, and I know that thread safety is a problem that a lot of programs struggle with, uh, but I don't know it because that's not helpful to the, the business solutions I'm trying to provide. I know where to hire those people. Mm -hmm. So just, just to have a, an idea as a technologist of the challenges that the technology field that you're in faces and to be able to articulate solutions to that uh, as a technology leader. I think that's very important. And that only happens if you're curious, if you're still reading, 
if you're attending um, conferences sometime, um, talking to people. Um, and number two, listen to listen to customers. So when customers come to you, they don't come to you with problems that are uh, neatly encapsulated. Right? So it's it's not there is no uh, there are no boxes around those problems. Uh, a problem that is an accounting problem might also be an e-commerce problem. An e-commerce problem might end up being an API problem. Right? Um, so how do you, as a technology leader, um, put boxes around? the right stuff mm-hmm. so that your team can solve that problem for your customers. That I think is a great part of being a successful technology leader. Uh, the fact that you can abstract away details when, when it's needed. Um, and that's usually the time when you talk to your customer and then you can hone in on the specific details that your team needs to solve. Yeah. That I think is a great way to grow as a technology leader. Any books that have been what I call gateway books on your journey that have really defined your leadership? Yeah, so uh, usually I, I I have a list of books that I talk about. I'm going to talk about one book here that really helped me. <clears throat> and it, it very uh, neatly encapsulates a lot of the stuff that I talked about. Um, I used to work for American Express. I worked for them um, as a, I would say, a senior leader um, for back in the late 2000, 2008, 2007-2008 yeah. uh, timeframe. And uh, they have this thing where 90 days after they hired you, they would bring you into their New York office um, and you would get to meet the CEO of the company after two days of you know, these workshop sessions, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that they gave you was this book called The 90-Day Journey. And I think I might have the title. It was a 90-day journey or a 90-day something, but I'll, I'll get you the title after this. Now, the great thing about the 90-day journey uh, of this book was it would tell you not just what you should expect as part of American Express as a leader, but in terms of um, being a good leader, how the first 90 days in an organization shapes what you're going to be able to do for the rest of your time there. Um, And a big part of that was, you know, how do you understand the terminology of the that the company uses? So American Express has its own vernacular, right? How do you understand that? It's that that is one of the superficial parts of how to be successful in a company. How what is what is the company culture? What is even uh, the idea of a company culture? And how do you understand the company culture? How do you fit into it? Um, how do you understand this concept that people who work with you can sometimes be influenced? before they are led. So you have to influence people uh, into kind of going in a certain direction uh, when you don't have a leadership position where they will listen just because you're their leader. So how do you do that? Um, So the the idea that you shouldn't be afraid to tell people that things are not going to work out, um, all of these things are part of that book. And um, I had never realized up until that point that a company would actually give you a book that wasn't written by a company. It's not a manual, it's actually a book, but mm. American Express, I think still to this day, provides its uh, leaders with this uh, right around the time that they go to the headquarters uh, for that that kind of workshop session. And yeah. I think that would be, that's a, a great book to read for anyone who wants to be a leader. 
I'll add that to my list. I'll look forward to the details and uh, we'll put it mm. on the bottom of the, uh, the description page for this podcast. And mm. I'm going to offer you a wish as well now. Uh, I'm going to be the tech genie for a second and offer you a tech wish for your tech leadership, for your industry. What would you wish for? Uh, what I'd like to do is to be able to offer um, a free um, e-commerce site to any merchant anywhere. And this, this is, it's, it's kind of, it's been a, a long-standing desire of mine. Um, a lot of businesses that have, you know, that make very little money um, and the only piece of computer equipment that they have, the server that they have is their mobile phone. Um, but it's technically, it's possible today to use your mobile phone as your storefront. So run a program on your phone that allows your uh, store to be visible across the world. Um, but mostly in, in their case, they're talking, we're talking about the immediate geographic area around where they are. Mm. So if you go back to a country like India, uh, the vegetable vendors who used to, when I was growing up, they would have a cart of vegetables and they roll that cart around in, in my area and there were fresh vegetables and they you know, do that over a period of hours until everything was sold. Um, but there were times when we wanted to find out if they, they still have this vegetable or that vegetable. Um, technically, it's possible today to take pictures of everything that you have in your car, put that on your phone, and then open up your store Love so it. that instead of you rolling that thing around, people just can come and tell you, or they can ask you for a specific thing, pay you there, and then you can deliver it to them. Um, same thing is The same thing is true for the US. You have so many local businesses that are a small operation. Uh, they can't really afford to pay monthly fees for e-commerce, and they don't. They don't even usually want to do that. Uh, there's no reason that they, they should have to. There, there's a way for companies to be able to give them a solution where their existing credit card processing fee could potentially pay uh, for anything that's bought using this very cheap offering. But I think that that to me is, I wouldn't say a holy grail, but it's it's, it's going to be a great thing to have. Yeah, brilliant. You've touched on a passion of mine, which is localism, right? yeah. supporting local businesses, because in this day and age with the big boys, you know, we've, and we've had uh, some of the technology leaders that work for these big companies is that the the, uh, the local smaller businesses are being kind of uh, squeezed out. And, uh, you know, yeah. I think technology is the solution to squeeze them back in, you know, kind of yeah, thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We have um, th there's a restaurant owner that I was uh, talking to in Romania just recently. And they have a very nice restaurant, but it's not in the right area. It's a very nice place. And it used to be the case that before COVID, people would make the drive to get there. Now with COVID, they, they don't, or they, they're reluctant. So we were thinking about doing something very similar to, for, for them to get their catering business um, yeah. online. So I think it's it's going to be a great thing. It's a, it's a differentiator and a force multiplier for a lot of yeah. businesses. Your wish, I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, I believe in you. <laughs> Excellent. And and as we kind of come to the full stop of the podcast, what's your key takeaway that you'd like to leave the tech leaders out there, the men and women leading tech in the space? Um, I I think the major takeaway that I would like to leave with is figure out how to help people, right? Eventually, it's not just about making more money or creating the next great technology that will do this or that. It is about how do you how do you see that helping people um, in your daily life or people you come into contact with on a regular basis? 
Um, most of the solutions that we have today, um, for example, Shopify is a very, very successful company, uh, right? Their stock is trading uh, at very high levels, uh, but they solved a problem for people to be able to go online and either set up a store, right? Or to buy things from people, other people. And it, it doesn't matter whether what, who you're buying from is a billion dollar company or whether it's someone who only sells um, rubber bands um, for school when schools in, school opens every few months. You could have any type of business person uh, to sell anything to anyone. So they focused on that specific issue. How do we help any merchant of any size? And uh, by doing that, they made it possible for a lot of people to uh, either get into business or get a new source of income. I think when you start doing that, when you focus on uh, helping people who might not actually be um, the, the focus of software, right? It's, they're not looking for enterprise software. They're not looking for accounting software. How do you help them? Uh, I think that's that's going to be key to uh, you being, you're making a difference. You might not necessarily make a lot of money, right? but you'll make a difference. Brilliant. Love it. Great note to finish on, Jan. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely having you on CTO Confessions. Well, it, it's been my pleasure to talk to you. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Well, I love it when a guest has a similar passion. The wish to create tech solutions for local businesses is a strong passion of mine. As mentioned, tech and big players in the market have squeezed out much smaller local companies. My hope is that tech enablement will squeeze them back in. So what were your key takeaways from the podcast? These were mine. Number one, facing your fears and putting them into perspective. Get them out of the way as soon as possible so you can be operating at your optimum and not weighed down by what-ifs and avoidance. My second key takeaway is around transparency. This has come up a lot in many leadership discussions. Dealing with it is a huge enabler and it's available to all of us. Bring transparency into the space to enable action from a place of full knowing. And my final and third key takeaway is about aligning your work to make a difference, i.e. some kind of human-centric purpose. Having a purpose in your leadership that helps people is building on strong grounds for success and it creates a feeling of fulfilment. So thank you, Jayant. Thank you for your time. And I wish for the wish to the tech genie to come true. I look forward to you creating that platform and firing up local businesses for revival. May the e-commerce integration force be with you on your continuing business journey. Thank you for your time, Jayan. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well, 
and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.